It's not businesses that fail all the time, it's people. Your network is your net worth. Come listen to some of the most successful people I know. Share invaluable knowledge, stories, and advice in real estate, business, and beyond. This is Weiss Advice. Whether you want to take your business or personal life to the next level, look no further. Welcome back to Weiss Advice. I'm your host, Yona Weiss. It is a pleasure to have you joining me today, and I'm very happy to have my friend Ivan Barrett, Barrett Asset Management, on with us today. It's a beautiful day. looks like you got the office. I can't tell if you've got the, uh, it's a green screen office in the background, or that's really your office, but it looks nice. (laughs) That's me. It's all me back here. No green screen. That's beautiful. That's great. So a little bit about Ivan, you know, he's a, a multifamily owner, syndicator, He owns a large management company, Barrett Asset Management, okay, BAM, right? And, you know, over 3,000 units. He's raised over 80 million in equity. Currently, his portfolio consists of over $300 million of assets under management. So I remember about a year ago, Ivan, that your firm was featured in Indianapolis as one of the fastest growing companies, not just real estate fastest growing businesses in the city of Indianapolis, which is a true feat into itself. So congratulations on that. And I'm sure since then, thank you. even with uh, you know, the current environment of the economy, you guys are still growing. Yes. Yeah. It's, um, it's been fun. I just got word we hit the top 25 fastest growing companies for the second year in a row. I think we'll hit the Inc. 5000 for the, the third year in a row. And it's been fun. This year, we seem to be growing a little bit faster than we did even last year, which uh, last year was, was sort of a, a slower pace, not for lack of capital or for lack of want, but for lack of good deal flow. And before I forget, you know, it, dude, it is good to see you <laughs> and hang out for a little while. It's been several months. Yeah. I think Really, my last road trip for business was Rod's event in LA and got to hang out with you a little bit there and chat. And it's, it's good to see you and yeah. hope I can deliver some good value today for your audience. Likewise. Yeah, that was an awesome event. In fact, I had Rod on here. Um, it was a little nostalgia for him because that was his last, also, you know, basically everyone's last yeah. uh, event, but that was his last big event. But that was yeah. truly an awesome um, Rod Cleese boot camp in, in January. That was an incredible event. And it, it's always a pleasure to see you. I think we were supposed to be sharing a stage again in Chicago like a couple of weeks ago at John Kasman's event, maybe. Uh, I don't know. I think that was canceled as well or postponed. So, Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. But yeah, thank you for, for joining us. And tell me a little bit about that because it's really intriguing. Obviously, people were talking about how you know the past few years in general, the multifamily market has been kind of tightened, you know, harder to find good deals. But it sounds like now in this environment, it's, it's, I wouldn't say easier to find good deals or they're just more available or less players. What, what are those factors? The short answer is yes. Um, I feel very grateful to have a track record, a team um, in this environment and some great relationships with owners and brokers. When this all started going down, you know, we were in the middle of pursuing a, an off-market deal. Direct the seller with one of our broker relationships who brought us the transaction. Mm-hmm. Sort of a quiet sale, 
older, older partnership, leaving some meat on the bone for the next guy, just straight down the, the fairway for us. And, you know, we had to make a prediction on this economy and where it would go. And we placed a bet, essentially, um, hard earnest money, my partner and I, to the tune of about $250,000 hard uh, of our own cash. We placed a bet that the economy would overreact, um, that this wouldn't be as bad as everybody was predicting. And a couple things would happen. Number one, that here in the Midwest, people would still pay their rent in our price point, our B plus, A minus price range. People would still mostly pay the rent. The Fed and the Treasury would continue to support the economy. Post 2008, there's a, you know, their playbook would be opened up and they would, they would mm-hmm. stimulate as much as possible to, to save the economy. We, we, I've been reading up on this for a long time. And so my, my bet was that, that the Fed would not let another deflationary financial event occur to an extent like it did in 2008. And we, uh, we, we made a bet that there would still be an availability of good debt. Mm-hmm on good terms for operators like us. And so we sort of did one of these and placed a bet and it's, it's paying off now. We have, we have two deals that we've achieved uh, or, or, um, uh, or under contract to be closed later this summer. That's great. Both here in Indianapolis, both off market deals. And I can tell you if the pandemic hadn't have hit and these assets would have been on market, I think there's a high degree of probability that I would have been smoked on purchase price in the bidding process. For us, we've got a line in the sand and great example, 2018, Mm -hmm. we we wanted 2000 units. We acquired about 800, not for lack of capital, but for lack of deal flow. 2019, same goal. Let's get 1500 to 2000 apartments this year. We did too, a little over 500 units. Again, not for lack of capital, but for lack of deal flow. And now here we are in, in June 2020, and I've got two deals uh, in the pipeline that I couldn't be more excited to close. And it's been years since we had this sort of deal flow uh, this early in a calendar year. Usually Q4 is where we see most of the transaction activity. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's quite amazing. I mean, and it just goes to show you, I mean, you've been in this for the long haul. And so to be able to make those predictions and to kind of capitalize on the opportunities, you, you had to have had that experience and have gone through that beforehand. Otherwise, you know, you'd kind of be a fool if, if you weren't in your situation and making those same predictions. That's just my kind of perspective. Someone like me who, you know, doesn't own any multifamily units currently, like to me to make that kind of prediction, it would just be, it would be almost foolish, right? Yeah, yeah. And Indianapolis, the Midwest in general, it hasn't boomed like other parts of the country. And it rarely does, but it doesn't bust either. It stays much closer to the mean. And the average growth rate, for instance, in Indianapolis for the last 35 years is 2.9%. And that's the average. And we happen to think we can be better than average. That gives us some confidence. And it's, it's been really vindicating in a way to watch, Yona, because I started this thing coming out of 2008 
and getting you know my butt handed to me at a young age, thinking I was a smart real estate operator when all I was was a, a development cowboy and had completely forgotten why I got into this game in the first place, which was for cash flow and then capital appreciation versus speculation. Mm -hmm. And the theory, um, you know, this whole time or the thesis has been, how do we build this and construct it in a way where we should do better in a recession? And we got our first big test and we actually have higher occupancy and higher revenue in our, uh, our current offering, uh, our fund, our last several deals, wow. which has been really exciting in some ways. Certainly a lot of people are hurting and I don't want to gloat about it, but for an investment manager, a fund manager, it's been really exciting to see the machine do better in a correction as we had always planned. And now it's not just a theory. Mm -hmm. we, can, uh, we can show the proof in the pudding. Yeah, that's phenomenal. And do you see that continuing over the next several months to a year, even if, for example, the, you know, the Fed does not continue to support, you know, giving those boosts of uh, surplus money into the economy like they have been doing the past few months? Well, frankly, if the Fed and other central banks around the world were to stop easing, stop printing money, stop buying financial assets, the world would be in the greatest depression we've ever seen. Like Japan, uh, for the last uh, couple decades at least, like the Euro uh, mm -hmm. zone, these major economies have to continue to uh, quantitatively ease through various measures to fight deflation. And mm -hmm. lucky for me, I was asked by, by an investor several years ago, you know, what keeps me up at night? I get, I get this question a lot. And my answer was uh, deflation until I, I learned more about what was going on at the central bank and treasuries and the equivalent government institutions in other countries and realized that deflation or the, or the deflationary boogeyman is what keeps up all the financial elite and all the bankers and all the, the central bankers. And so now that I know that, I no longer worry about the deflationary boogeyman as much as I used to because I have the most powerful people in the world that are also concerned with it and have gone on record of saying that they will drop money from a helicopter in order to prevent it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that plays very well into my investment thesis of buying tangible assets that throw off cash in locations where people want to live and uh, have access to employment, good schools, and uh, a, a few other uh, boxes that have to be checked. All very simple, not easy to execute, difficult to find, but at a very high level, very, very simple when you get to the root of it. Yeah, absolutely. And for someone like, say, someone, one of our listeners, this is their first experience in this kind of a potential recession. Yeah. You know, you've lived through, you know, and started out coming through that 2008 environment and planned accordingly now. But someone who is just experienced their first time, and I know there's tons of these, you know, newbie syndicators. I mean, think about that Rod Khalif event alone. There was like 600 people and probably half of them yeah. were like wanting to do their first deal uh, in right. the environment. What would you say to, to someone like that to, you know, advice or, you know, kind of the, the yeah, that's, stance to take? That's tough. Um, <laughs> you know, you, me and Neil Bauer were sitting at a table in Chicago. It's been a year, whatever it was. 
And I think maybe at that table or, or somewhere around there, Neil said, um, we're not in a real estate bubble yet, which I agree with, but we're in a syndicator bubble. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that a lot. You know, yeah, and there's just, there's just a lot more people that want to break into the business right now. And I think the ones that are trying to get in right now who are going to be the leaders of the future, the top men and women in the, in the space are going to be the ones that learn how to start small, build a business around it, because syndication really is a business, and find a way to scale some sort of operating company whether it's like what I did with, with management, which is very difficult, but very rewarding if you can stick with it and not quit or some other play. I know some capital raisers now are forming their own funds, which I think is a much safer way to grow a, or scale a business mm-hmm. um, than just being a, a quote unquote capital raiser, but going through having your own PPM, having your own marketing channels. And then investing with good operators. I think that's one possible road to success. There's going to be a lot of people that can't pull it off, right? And we're, we're getting a lot of folks that are probably in it because they, they see a shiny object that looks easier than what they're currently doing. And it's like anything else. Yeah. You know, 20% of the, of the people are going to make 80% of the, um, of the profits. Um, and maybe, maybe even more extreme than that. Yeah, probably more. I would, I would think even more extreme in this, in this business. Yeah. Maybe 90, 10 or even, even less, um, track record really counts right now. So I, you know, I would tell young syndicators, learn sales, learn persuasion, learn your craft, learn finance and start in your own friends and family, your own backyard, your own network, raising money online, uh, with people that don't know you from Adam or, or Yona is very difficult right now. Yeah. But if you can find people that know you and trust you and you can start small and, and build a track record, you can, you can rinse and repeat that. And if you're willing to put off the gratification of doing a, a huge deal, I think you're setting yourself up for more success. That's great advice. And I, I mean, that, that's phrase that Neil, you know, put down there about the syndication bubble, you know, I'd repeated that a number of times and I just think it, it's unfortunate because you know, I think everyone who reads, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad or, or something of the like or goes to one of these boot camps is just in, inspired and wants to change, wants to kind of get out of the rat race and, and realizes. But let's, but let's peel back a layer there on how Robert Kiyosaki, he's one of my favorite authors, by the way. And I love his content. And I think I don't agree with everything he says, right. but I think Robert represents that path less taken the poem, right? Yeah. That, and he's sort of the trailhead and the philosophy of that other path. I think if you peel back some of the layers there, Robert Kiyosaki, Grant Cardone, a host of others, you'll find a formula found in the cash flow quadrant where they took a B quadrant business mm-hmm. and then they funneled into the I quadrant to buy lots of real estate. So Robert, for example, he didn't get wealthy just buying real estate, investing in real estate. He got wealthy by growing an education company, serving mm-hmm. others, right? And then using that to buy more tangible assets to right. grow off cash. Grant Cardone, same thing. He didn't get rich in real estate. He got very successful at sales training platform and books and seminars and, and online classes and online training. And then he funneled that B quadrant income into the I quadrant. Right. 
I think people want to skip that step and they look at it as just a path to how do I buy a rental property a year or two rental properties a year? And that's not bad either. That's a, it's a good get rich, very, very slow plan. And that's, that's better than nothing for a lot of families. But if you want to be really, really successful, you true financial freedom, you have to learn how to grow some sort of platform, some sort of business. Yeah. I hear that. You have to learn the business of employees. You have to be able to figure all that out. And I wouldn't be anywhere close to owning 3,000 units if I first didn't grow a management company, which by the way, I didn't syndicate a deal for a few years. I only managed other people's assets and started buying small deals myself with, mm-hmm. private, with private hard money to learn uh, the hard way wow. how to renovate, right? And, and how, to, how to add value. And then I got a couple small deals with a partner or two. And then I syndicated my first big deal, uh, which at the time was 60 units in 2014, I believe, and really started growing into, into larger assets from there. For me, I wouldn't have gotten that far without a management business first. I hear. So the, the theme is repeating itself, you know, clearly to create a business, to do the work and reap the rewards of that work as that kind of follows suit. And I think yeah. that's, that's challenging Realtors enough. are a good example, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of realtors out there that want to like give up the real estate game or the residential realtor game and just go buy apartments. It's like, wait a second, you know, build out that, that residential real estate business with a team and with reoccurring revenue. Then use that. But don't forget about that business. I think part of the challenge in that is that in general, most businesses you know, don't succeed. And, and so people kind of who are coming from other businesses, not succeeding or other corporate, you know, jobs or, or what have you want to try to find a path of less resistance. And uh, it sounds like you're saying it's just not feasible. It's not businesses that fail all the time. You know, I think it's people. If I can do it, anybody can. I was a C student at best. You know, I didn't play a lot of high school sports. I was the weird kid doing Taekwondo and climbing rocks. And I was pretty lazy and I didn't really want to work that hard. And, you know, I got into college and started really learning how to learn and got excited about real estate. Somehow got into business school. Back then, Indiana University would let anybody in. I think they took pity on my essay or something and got out. And I, you know, I was reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I wanted to be in real estate. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know all this about a business at the time, but I remember Rich Dad saying, get a sales job and learn how to sell. And finally woke up to the fact that that this journey, it starts with just putting one foot in front of the other and just refusing to quit. And then realizing that I had to go from a solopreneur to an entrepreneur and learn how to, how to hire people and manage people and, Mm. I just decided that it was going to be even harder than real estate and I was going to hate it. But that was the trial by fire that I had to go through if I wanted to grow anything of real size. And I just refused to quit. And I got hit in the mouth a ton. I mean, property management of small rental properties sucks. Yeah, especially if you're doing it in, uh, in, you know, BC locations where where you were. Well, the trick in the beginning, if you're going to do property management is only do B's and A's. You need residents that care about their credit and you can use that stick for collections. 
you don't want to take on too many C's in the beginning or you will literally go mad. Unless you have a, unless you have a big stick or whatever. You know? <laughs> but it, 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 it was a stepping stone. I knew I had to go through that to get to, to where I wanted to go. We don't manage small stuff anymore. And we're approaching 100 employees. Wow. I've got a great operating partner. Partners is a big part of this thing. And we're exact opposites. And so together, though, we are, we are greater than the, the sum of our parts. And finding those partnerships and, and growing a, a company is truly rewarding. It just takes a while in the beginning to get that momentum going. Good to great calls it the great flywheel or pushing a freight train to get it going. Yeah, it takes a lot of energy. Required in incredible energy, incredible energy. But then once you get it going and, and you get it going long enough, that momentum takes on a life of its own. And now, you know, we have this amazing culture and this amazing team of, of people that get so much of the credit for where we're at today because they share in the same vision of a company where people are banging down our door to work here. Wow. And that's great. You know, I get way too much credit for the execution of our, our real estate deals. It is not me, Yona. It is the team. It's my partner. It's the folks out here every day that are making me look good from the grounds tech at the apartments, making sure that the trash is picked up daily, the property managers and their leasing teams, and the maintenance guys that are worth their weight in gold that really, really drive this, this thing forward. And that's, that's incredible. You know, and you, it sounds like you have been thriving in this environment, which is such a positive sign that there is, you know, there's a lot of hope for, for businesses if, if it's done right. And obviously, you know, you pick the right business to, to be able to weather those, you know, all kinds of storms. But, you know, I assume, like you said, you're, you're growing close to 100 employees. That's incredible for no longer really a small business in that sense that you've kind of grown. You bring up a good point. I heard this quote a long time ago and it's stuck with me ever since. And I've, I've used this for our people, it's guys, listen, we're not a small business. Even when we were four employees, we are not a small business. We are a big company that today happens to be small. And if you take that approach to how you reinvest in your company, the systems you set up or the people you find to set up those systems for you, if you're constantly taking that approach, this beautiful thing happens, right? You, you become a big company and you, and you continue to grow uh, because people buy into that versus a small business where you're much more susceptible. There's this danger zone for, for solopreneurs becoming entrepreneurs, because if you just get a little bit bigger, you're very susceptible to losing key people, losing key clients, shifts in the marketplace. So it, it's sort of this, this approach that, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm not just gonna go from one to two, I'm gonna go from one to 100 to 1,000, right? Because this, this middle ground here in business size can actually be a very dangerous place to stay. The death ground. Is that, and is that just setting up systems? Is that setting up you know, key team players from the beginning to help that grow? Or? People, yeah, people's the, the main thing. I mean, I, I got pretty far learning systems, but people is, is really the, the key ingredient in giving them the tools they need to succeed. Mm -hmm. And one of my biggest issues to overcome was being uh, that lone wolf that could do everything better, right? And Tim Ferriss has got some great content on this. Learning to let 
bad things happen, especially little bad things, letting people fall on their face, letting people make their own decisions, especially in their departments, letting them figure it out. It costs money. Yeah. Right. But that's just tuition. That all of a sudden, this beautiful thing happens. People take more leadership roles. They find people underneath them that can grow as leaders as well. And they're more accountable to their decisions than me saying, hey, I think we should do this or I think we should do that. And that's, again, simple, not easy to accomplish, but quite simple. And it's, the good news is it's like anything else. It's like a muscle. The, the more you work on it and strive to make it stronger through daily discipline and just doing the little things consistently, the stronger it becomes to where now so much happens in our company, initiatives, decisions, ideas, uh, our culture, our, our events for our employees without my input at all. And that's when it really gets fun to watch. It's almost like watching a, you know, a, a person grow, right? It's like a proud dad when, yeah. uh, when the company becomes an organism, takes on a, a culture and mindset of its own. That's awesome. Well, you yeah. should be a very proud father because it looks like you've grown something very special. Thank you. I want to jump uh, right into the final four here, if that's right, Ivan. Oh, yeah. You got to cut me off, man. I could talk about this stuff all day. <laughs> it's Monday morning. I'm all, I'm all caffeinated. I'm talking to a, a guy I love talking to. Yeah. Four questions. Number one, what was the worst job that you ever had? Uh, there is no such thing as the worst job, but I, I'll pick one anyway. I think I've had a job since I was seven working my dad's rental properties, mowing his lawns. That was pretty bad. I would say working the locker room at the local like uh, uh, pool, having to be in the locker room and like hand out the towels. That was a pretty terrible summer job. That's yeah. Can't imagine that. Okay. <laughs> For our <laughs> listeners, we will, we'll just leave out the uh, visualization of that. Number two. Please do. Um, what is a book you've read or listened to that has given you a paradigm shift? Oh, man. I mean, there's a ton. Most of, most of them we, we've all heard, right? The rich dads, the, the think and grow riches, good to great. Um, one that I think every investor should read is Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb, author of The Black Swan. Really helped me develop my thesis for, um, for doing better when uh, things go wrong. Incredible. Okay, we'll check that one out. Number three. Favorite of the last 10 years, for sure. Okay, we we'll definitely put that in the show notes and anyone should go uh, check that out. Um, number three is, what is a skill or talent that you'd like to learn? Hmm, failing. Sailing. There aren't too many uh, lakes and rivers in Indianapolis, are there? We got a few. We got a few. We could use some more. <laughs> sailing. That sounds, that sounds fun. I actually went sailing a few times when I was a kid. We had a little boat. My father we went uh, a few times, so that was fun. But it sounds exciting. Well, now you definitely have built the business enough to afford yourself a, a yacht, right? <laughs> At that stage. So <laughs> I don't know about that yet, but... <laughs> I like renting boats. Renting boats. Okay. Um, so yeah. we're going to go to question yeah. number four. Ivan, what does success mean to you? So when I think about success, I think about health, obviously financial security, having a good spiritual relationship, getting high marks in both marriage and, and fatherhood. You know, it doesn't matter how many zeros I have in the bank if all that other stuff I fail at. So it's got to be all those categories you know, high marks 
to truly be successful. And financial freedom is, is often said, and I agree, it's, it's doing whatever you want, when you want, for as long as you want, with whomever you want. And that's what really keeps me going. And most of the time, that's going to be travel with my, uh, with my wife and kids. We get a, a lot of fulfillment out of going uh, and seeing places. Oh, wow. Where's, just on that note, where's one of the nicest, uh, best places that, that you've been spent some time in? Oh, my gosh. So I went to a conference down in, uh, at the Breakers in uh, West Palm, and my wife came down. That was a really, really cool place to visit. We're probably more, though, like national parks oh, yeah. and, and, and nature. Mm-hmm. So we, we've got some little kids right now, but some big, um, big destinations is there just now. The youngest is going to be five in September. So we're getting back to that, that point where we can start traveling more. But I think our coolest vacation yet, definitely we, we took uh, a couple of weeks in Europe, stayed with my brother who's in London, and then spent uh, almost a week in the south of France in Nice. Mm, very nice. Which was just a really, really awesome, awesome time. Cool, very cool. And and even now, you know, still under these conditions and still the travel and restrictions and whatnot, national parks is still, you know, it's still doable. It's yeah, doable. yeah. If we if we weren't moving yeah. houses, I think we would have been in an RV and we'd be doing this from the road right now, just just get out of Indianapolis and head west. Yeah, that's awesome. I'd, I'd have you on my on my dashboard if I could, and we'd be driving somewhere. That's really cool. You got to get the studio in the RV and uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Ivan, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can our listeners learn more about you or find you? Oh, thank you, Yona. Um, I'm pretty easy to find if you Google me, Ivan Barrett, but it's B-A-R-R-A-T-T. B-A-R-R-A-T-T. I've got an education series for high net worth and investors and families. IvanBarrett.com, BarrettAssetManagement.com, 317-762-2625, 317-762-2625. That goes to my, uh, my personal assistant, and uh, she'd be happy to get anyone on my calendar. Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure getting on your calendar today, Ivan. I appreciate it. Right back it. at you, man. <laughs> we've, been, we've been trying to get this one done for a couple of weeks now, so I'm glad we finally uh, got it scheduled. And, you, too. you know, I hope uh, people do check you out because this is probably one of the, one of my favorite people in the, in the multifamily space and always a pleasure to, to meet you and to see you and spend time with you and, and talk to you. So wish you much success, continued success, continued growth. And, um, you know, to all of our listeners, thank you again for joining us. And remember the best advice comes only when you ask. Real quick. I have one question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask you a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message to the whole world is that if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this podcast is out on is that you like my stuff and I'm doing something right. So take a few seconds out of your day, hit that subscribe button, leave a rating or review. I would be extremely grateful. Also, I want to hear from you guys. So I want to hear some feedback. If you have any questions for future episodes, please find me on LinkedIn. Send me a DM, a connection request, Yona Weiss, and I'd love to hear from you.